This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So just to recap, he was discussing the the purpose of studying the halacha, of doing the, the mitzvah, and studying the halacha of the mitzvah is in order to clarify, to separate the good from the evil, the good from the bad. So he says it makes sense when you actually do a mitzvah, when you're actually studying halacha, about a practical mitzvah, a do, a commandment. What about the prohibitions? Are you studying about something that you're not doing? So how does that clarify the sparks? elevate the sparks so he says because if you're tempted to do something and you don't do it it's considered as if you've done it okay but that explains the mitzvot that are practical what about the mitzvot that are not practical never happened never will happen they're so far-fetched theoretical so it's not a practical thing you're studying because I need to know what not to do and if it's I'm tempted I should know to avoid it it'll never happen so he explained because everything in this world has a spiritual source. So the klipa, the negative energy, manifests itself in the physical, but it originates in the spiritual. You have a spiritual angels, you have positive angels, holy angels, negative angels, negative energy, negative palaces, sources of energy. And, um, and we tap into those, that energy. Or we do something wrong. So anything that the Talmud discusses, all these detailed laws, even laws that never happen, never will happen, they're so far-fetched, they're so theoretical, but the concept, the idea originates from the negative forces. And therefore, when you study Torah, you're clarifying the negativity at the source, not just in the physical world, which what we see is like the tip of the iceberg, well, you're clarifying it at the source. And then he asks, what about those mitzvot that are unintentional. When you say clarify, are you talking about you have to clarify it in your mind first and that clarifies the spirit, or just the learning itself, whether you get it or you don't get it, it makes it clear. Well, when you're learning the Torah and the Torah, what are you learning? What the law is, what, what's right, what's wrong, guilty and not guilty, obligated, not obligated, kosher, not kosher, pure, impure. All those distinctions, when you're learning the Torah and you're separating and you're sifting, you're sifting and separating the kernel from the shaft, and this is external, superficial, this is no good and this is, is good, that itself, you're clarifying and you're separating the positive from the negative, the truth from the false, the falsehoods, the good from the evil, the superficial from the external, from the inner. So that, you're clarifying it at the source. Just your work. Yes, you're separating it because... Evil only, could only sustain itself when it's connected. Once you separated it, it loses its energy. It's like, how do you, when you take wheat, and one of the first things you do 
first you plant and then you sow and then you reap in the harvest. And after you harvest, you thresh. When you thresh, you start separating between the kernel and the... Because the wheat itself, it's all together. I can't distinguish what's the kernel, what's the shaft, what's the main thing, what's the superficial thing. What's the means? What's the end? It's all one. It's all mixed together. So you have to start the process. Start it by stomping on it and threshing it. Now you're starting to separate between the kernel, what's the main event, and what's the superficial event. The clip of the shell, which served the purpose. It protected the kernel. But once the purpose is, once the mission accomplished, now you have to differentiate and throw out the shaft and keep the wheat. And then then you winnow, and then you separate, and then you gather, you know, so it's a process. So that's the idea of separating. Once you separate the good from evil, and God created the world, it was evil, but the evil was completely separate from the good. And therefore it couldn't, it couldn't nourish itself. You know, in heaven, everything is separate. Hell is hell and heaven is heaven. You can't mix the two. It's only in this world where everything is commingled and everything is confused and everything is uh, discombobulated and submished and upside down. So in this world, everything is... Uh, so you, that's our whole mission. The whole purpose of Torah and mitzvot is to clarify now that everything is all mixed up and everything is all together. And I can't, I can't tell, I can't distinguish. And that's what sustains the negativity. And I have to start clarifying and separating. Once you clarify and separate the good from the evil, then the evil loses its power. It has no power. It shrinks. It shrivels up. It has no strength on its own. It's very limited. It's only when you feed it and you nourish it and it's all mixed together, that's what gives it its, its strength. So it's only in this world where everything is mixed up in the, same, uh, how, in the same block, in the same street, you can have, uh, you can have uh, the synagogue and right next to it you can have the house of uh, prostitution right in the same block, within the same person, individual. You have good and you have evil. You have good positive, positive qualities and negative qualities, selfish self-centered, self-absorbed qualities, and you have selfless and kind qualities. Within the same act, a person could be very charming on the outside, and inside has a, a heart of stone. Couldn't care less, but they'd put on a good show. When they're dating this girl, they'll pull the charm out. But they'll treat the waitress like, like a piece of garbage, which when you date, that's a good idea. Just check how they treat the doorman, because that's exactly how they're going to end up treating you. <laughs> once, once the novelty is off, and they're not trying to impress you, they're just being the good old self. A person who's naturally nice and kind is kind to everyone, and is naturally nice and kind to everyone, and considerate. A person who's a mensch is a mensch, consistently, to everyone, even to nobodies. A person who's not a mensch, it's only external. Vice versa, you can have a person who's very gruff on the outside, but they're sweethearts on the inside. They have hearts of gold. In the moment of truth, they're there for you. They'll be there for you. Well, the person who was charming and nice is nowhere to be found. <laughs> inside, he's cold and couldn't care less. Didn't care about you. For, didn't care for a second. Just turned on the charm. So everything in this world is very confusing. You do a good act, you give tzedakah, but you want a headline blazing. You want everyone talking about it and acknowledging it. So everything that we do is a poison. You can use poison for medicine. Sweetness, too much sugar will kill you. It's killing America, making everyone obese. 
So everything, not, everything is mixed up in this world. Everything is confused. Nothing is black and white. Nothing is 100%. No clarity. Everything is, that's only in our world. Our world is where everything gets mixed up. It's one big trollant. And the mission in life is to separate, <laughs> to clarify it. That's what the Torah does. Kosher, not kosher. Good, not good. Obligated, not obligated. Guilty, not guilty. True, false. Holy, not holy. Pure, impure. Just the fact that you're studying and you're clarifying all these laws, that's what the laws tell you. This is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. That in itself clarifies things. It clarifies at the source of the klipa, the source of the negative energy. Then he asks, what about those mitzvot which are, those laws which are unintentional? The only possibility of these laws are intentional, like we discussed last week, the mitzvah of tithing, tithing the animal, the tenth animal. And the Torah says, if you make a mistake, we learned from Moshe at Sinai, if you make a mistake, if you call the ninth, you would line up the animals and they would go out of the barn and you would, one by one, and you would count them, and the tenth one, you would mark with a red, uh, a red uh, mark, you would hit it with a red mark, and knowing that this is the tenth, this is the tithe animal, and you have to offer it as a sacrifice in the temple, and it's holy, and you can't redeem it. What if, by mistake, you call the ninth the tenth? The ninth animal, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. The tenth animal comes out. Oh, you call that the ninth. After you've called the tenth and ninth, the eleventh animal calls that comes out. Now that becomes the tenth. So the halacha is the law says the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh are all have the status of a, of a tithe animal. They're all holy. You have to dedicate it and 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 consecrate it to the temple. Offer it as a sack. So this law, for example, is only possible if it was done unintentionally. If, it's not, there's no possibility of doing this intentionally. If you do it intentionally, it means nothing. If I know it's the ninth and I call it the tenth, it means nothing. It's a mistake. I really thought that this was the tenth. And then the tenth I called the ninth. It doesn't matter that I made a mistake because it's the actual tenth. And because I called that the ninth, the eleventh I called the tenth. And the Torah says... In that case, all three become consecrated. Not if it happens with the eighth or if it happens with the twelfth. It's only if it's the ones that are close to the ten, the nine and the eleven. So this is only possible if it was done unintentionally. See, here I can't say that it was negative. It comes from a negative source, negative energy. What negative? It was unintentional. It was a mistake. So he explains that when a Jew studies Torah, where does the Torah come from? The Torah comes from the wisdom of Hashem, which is the window to the soul, the window to the infinite, which Hashem reveals His infinite self in the supernal wisdom. And that's the source of the Torah. So the wisdom, the, the wisdom, the supernal wisdom, which is the source of Torah, reflects the infinite, which explains why the laws are infinite. The oral Torah is infinite, and it keeps on growing. It keeps on developing. There's so many details and this aspect and that aspect and this way and the other way. And so although practically it'll never happen, never did happen, never will happen, never could happen. And yet it's our life mission to learn and master all these laws, all these details, all the halacha and all its details, all 613 mitzvot, both positive and negative, even those mitzvot that are so far-fetched. 
Because the reason why we have these infinite possibilities is because since the supernal wisdom, the divine wisdom, reflects Hashem, who's infinite, that's why the Torah is also infinite. Infinite possibilities. So even though practically it won't manifest itself practically, only a, a little of it will manifest itself practically. Because we're simply not, this world is too limited and finite to reflect every possible, every possibility. But theoretically, we have infinite possibilities. And that's why the halacha discusses so many things which are theoretical and possible. This scenario and that scenario and this detail and that this way and the other way and so many different ways. It's all a reflection of the infinite. Now in general, whatever is in the soul is found in the body. The body is like a reflection of the soul. You have 248 limbs because you have 248 abilities in the soul. So whatever is on high is manifests itself in this world because we are created in the image of God. However, the world is called the garment of Hashem. We're not the body of Hashem, it's called the garments of Hashem. The garment does match the body. It has to fit. But it's separate from the body. So since this world are the garments of Hashem, therefore, not everything that originates within Hashem has to manifest itself literally, practically. So it's enough that it manifests itself in a would-be scenario, in a possibility, a possible scenario. What if this this would happen... And then we have a discussion. What is the law of this in this case? If this and this happens, even though it's far-fetched, it never happened, never will happen, it's so far-fetched. But the possibility is there. And therefore we have to discuss it. Because when we're discussing it, we're discussing the infinite light of Hashem, the infinite wisdom of Hashem that's reflected in all these details and all these different possible scenarios of Jewish law. And that's why a Jew studies Torah. We're studying Torah to reveal Hashem's infinite self. And this only happens when the Jew studies Torah. Because it's in the oral Torah that all these laws are developed, in the oral tradition, which is developing until this day. It's like organic, it's alive, and it's constantly developing. And, and the rabbis, the words of the rabbis are called divrei sofrim, the words of a sofer. What is the name of a Torah? Sefer Torah, a book. The Torah is a book. The rabbis are called the Sofer, the author who writes the book. So who is greater? The author is greater than the book because the author writes the book. As it says, the Talmud says, Hashem says, the words of the rabbis are sweet. That's very sweet to me. Because the rabbis reach into the source of Torah, the author that's writing the book. So in other words, it's when the Jew studies Torah that the Jew is tapping into this infinite, is revealing the infinite uh, infinity of Hashem in the wisdom of the Torah. So it's only when a Jew studies Torah that we reveal the infinite light of Hashem in the Torah. And that's the reason we study Torah with such enthusiasm, with such alacrity. And we grapple and we master all these details that are so far-fetched, never happened, never will happen. But by doing this, when the Jew studies Torah, we're revealing Hashem's infinite light in the Torah. 
And when you reveal Hashem's infinite light, you're disconnecting the klipa, the negative energy. The negative energy has nothing to grab onto. The negative energy could only grab onto the external, the superficial, like the back. It's called the acharayim, the back of the vessel. Because the internal part of the vessel, it's very clear, it has content. The internal part is connected to its content. It's only the back of the vessel, when I don't see the inner, all I see is the back, and it becomes an entity in itself, unto itself, that creates the disconnect. That's when something becomes negative. When everything is facing the front, there's no negativity. When everything is clear, when you have that clarity, you know what, what is the end and what is the means. And the shell, the back, is just an, a means to the end. When everything fits into its right place and everything falls into place, then everything is positive. There's no room for negativity. There's no nonsense. Everything is clear. Everything is proportionate. You don't give more power to the external, to the superficial, than, than exactly the way it's needed. It serves a purpose. It's there to serve the purpose. It's a means to the end. The shell protects the kernel. That's all. Nothing more. Materialism, this world, ego and materialism, serves a purpose. A person needs to have an ego in order to develop himself, in order to be motivated, in order to study, in order to grow. It serves a purpose. But you only give it as much as it needs, not more. Not one iota more than it needs. So materialism is a blessing. It's a means to an end. But it's not an end in itself. You love people and you use money. <laughs> it serves a purpose. And then it's a blessing. Because everything is facing the inside. The problem is when you, the external becomes an end in itself. And becomes disconnected from the inside. That's when everything goes haywire. That's when everything becomes confused. And that's when this world becomes hell. Grotesque. Everything becomes grotesque. That's when we lose touch. Everything becomes disconnected. But materialism becomes an end in itself. And instead of loving your family and loving people, you, you love materialism and you discard people. And everything becomes about the, soup, the surface, money, power, fame. And uh, you forget what it's all about. That's when the klipa, the negative energy, really starts, the fungus starts flourishing. That's when the illness starts taking root. That's when the virus starts infecting and starts creating illness and sickness and dead ends and heartache. And it's a dead end. It, it, it leads to nothing and to nowhere, to disappointment and to depression and, and uh, uh, nihilism. It, it, there's nothing there. But that's when this world becomes hell on earth. God created the world, the world was a garden of Eden. Because everything was clear. Everything was in the right proportion. The material was just a, a container. It was a see-through shell. The shell served the purpose to serve. It was just here to serve. It says the snake was a great servant. Was a great servant. He knew his whole purpose is, is to serve. 
So even the evil, the negativity was here to serve. It was, it was, everything was proportionate. Ego serves a purpose, was just here to serve. Then everything falls into place. This world is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Pleasurable, enjoyable, gratifying, satisfying, meaningful, wholesome. But it's when we forget, when the external becomes an end in itself, that's when everything becomes... You know, the, the Kabbalists use a parable. It says this genius created this island. And I mean, he, he set up this island where everything was so engineered, engineered so perfectly that everything worked so beautifully. There were canals, and the canals led the, ir- irrigated the trees. And because of the trees, you had the right fauna, and you had the right animal life, and the right... Everything supported each other, and the garden, the island was lush and beautiful, and it produced everything that was needed. It was, it was a garden of Eden. Seven stars. Then this wise guy comes out, comes around. <laughs> Decides, I'm going to block the irrigation. Let me put some, let me dump some mud. He blocked, blocked some of the canals. The water couldn't flow. The water stopped flowing. The trees started shriveling up. The birds died out. And you come back a few years later, <laughs> the whole island is a mess, decrepit, <clears throat> dead, a jungle. It's, it's just a mess. So when we study Torah and do mitzvot, everything flows. All the channels flow, the energy flows, the divine blessings flow. Everything flows wonderfully, beautifully, perfect. It's perfect. Torah is perfect. God is perfect. And He created the perfect world, a garden of Eden. So when you follow the Torah 100% and you follow the mitzvah, don't pick and choose. You do exactly what Hashem says and you believe in this perfect document and it's 100% perfect. It doesn't need editing. It doesn't need changing. Not in the 21st century. It's perfect. Hashem knew what he was talking about 3,300 years ago and he's talking today and it's just as perfect today as it was then. Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah, as the rabbis say, let a thousand King Solomons get lost and not change one letter in the Torah. We're not changing anything. It's a perfect document. It's a perfect blueprint for life. If you follow the Torah, people are blessed. Families are blessed. Societies are blessed. Congregations, communities are blessed. The world becomes a garden of Eden. But then we start getting wise. You know, we become wise guys. You know, this, let me, so suddenly the canal starts flowing and this stops. And before you know it, we created a mess. We don't even know how to get out of it. <laughs> Everything gets blocked. All the channels of blessings and livelihood and everything. Just, everything starts getting blocked. We, we're blocking ourselves. And then we wonder why the world is the way it looks today. So that's what it means external. When the external, from the external level, Klippa could only live and thrive when the external level becomes prominent and you discard the inner. What happens when you study the Torah and you study the Halacha, when a Jew studies Torah? You draw down the infinite light. Because all these variations of the law, all these possibilities, all these different scenarios, what happens if this in this case, what happens that the law discusses, the code of Jewish law, what happens if this in this case, and all these details, this all comes from Hashem. 
This reflects Hashem who is infinite. So when we're studying Torah, we're drawing down Hashem who is infinite. When you draw down the light, then everything is facing inwardly. Then there's no room for the negativity to flourish. There's no room for the negativity, for the virus to hold on to. When the body is flooded with health, when the body is so alive and so vibrant and flooded with health, there's no drunk food and no drunk lifestyle. There's no place for illness to hold on to. Illness has no place to grab onto. Because you're so flooded. So when we flood the world with Hashem's infinite light, when a Jew studies Torah, we have the power to flood the universe, to flood the world with Hashem's infinite light that it should radiate. When Hashem's infinite light radiates, there's no room for darkness, for confusion, for negativity. And that's how we make the world a better place. So by studying Torah, we are mending the world, we are fixing the world. So you think you're sitting in the shul, you're sitting in the base of Medrash, and why am I spending my, the best years of my life and the best energy and so much time studying such far-fetched laws that never happened, never will happen, never could happen, so far-fetched, and, and I have to master it. This is my obligation and duty in life as a Jew, to master all 613 mitzvahs with all the details and all the reasonings behind it. What's the point? What's the purpose? What practical application does it have? Especially I'm not a judge and I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a rabbi. I'm not, what's the point? But you're flooding the world with Hashem's infinite light. You're flooding the world with infinite light. You're, you're fixing the world. You're healing the world. There's no room for negativity. You're dealing. This is the best way to deal with all the negativity in the world. That's the power that we have when we study Torah. That's why it's, it's incumbent upon us. We're obligated Every Jew has to come down into this world, sometimes many times over, until we study and master all 630, the whole entire Torah. We better get to work. <laughs> the extension of the supreme wisdom that is vested in the laws of Torah is infinite, since the infinite is actually clothed in it. Every particular of the law is a gate drawn from the supreme wisdom, which founded the daughter and is clothed in it. Tachma, the father, founded Mahfud, the daughter. Malchut is the mouth, which we call the oral Torah. Chachma then is clothed in the laws of the oral Torah as they are to be found in their source in Malchut of the Tzilu. That's the connection between speech and wisdom. You see, when you speak and you communicate, the fountains of wisdom open up. When you're teaching something, when you're conveying something, when you're communicating something, even though you knew it before, you understood it before, it's only when you have to transmit it convey it and communicate it as you're speaking even even as you're preparing to speak suddenly the wisdom the fountains of wisdom open up and it becomes amplified like a thousand fold that's the power of communication that's why the last generation now we're in the information age but in the 50s we started out with the communication age and that's why business boomed a thousand fold what happened all of a sudden why did business suddenly boom a thousandfold because of the communication age? It's the power of communication. If you're sitting quietly, you're not communicating, versus when you're communicating, it, it, it takes it to a whole different level. And you experience it yourself. When you're teaching and sharing and communicating, even sometimes as you're speaking, your mind opens up and, 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 and ideas just start flowing. So we see the connection between speech, which seems to be so superficial, because what I'm, it's just communication. It's just a vehicle. I'm not, it's, speech words don't originate anything. 
don't create anything. The creativity is in my mind, in my heart. But when you speak, whatever, when you share and communicate, whatever is going on in your heart and your mind, it opens up your mind to a whole different level. So you see that the daughter, we know that daughters are very special relations to their fathers. <laughs> There's a very special connection to father-daughter relation. So you see that, that the daughter, which is, re- refers here to malchut, which is the feminine aspect and the speech and communication, and the chachma, which is, all, which is the, the masculine all the way on top, the father, you see a connection. So it's in the oral Torah. In the oral Torah, which spells out all the mitzvot in great detail, there you see the infinite is revealed. There you see the, the, the infinity of the Torah. Because the Torah, the written Torah is, is limited. It can't change it. Down to the last word, now down to the last letter. But the oral Torah is like, it's like fertile. It's, it's, it's constantly growing and, and, and it's infinite. So the infinity which is reflected in the Chachma, you see that manifest in the communication in the oral Torah. From Malchut, Chachma is drawn and invested in Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. The Rebbe will now conclude by explaining how this brings about the refinement of the spot. It is known that the nurture of the Kalippa derives from the hinder part of the tenth spot of the holiness, and more precisely from the garments of the tenth spot of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. So only from the garments, and which, and which is, it's already separate and apart, although it fits, but it's separate and apart, and the external part. So only from the external, when the external becomes divorced and disconnected from the internal and becomes like an end in itself, that's where the clip would hold on to. And yet more precisely, they derive the nurture and the garments of Yitzhira and Asiya that are intermingled with Kalippa. The evil of the Kalepat and the worlds of Yatsira and Asiya is intermingled with the good. For as far as is known, the nurture derives from the state of God. So the world of Berea, even though it's a, the beginning of the world of creation, but nevertheless, there, it's mostly good. It's like the analogy is like the fish in the water. The fish is swallowed up in its source. It can't disconnect from water for a moment. It dies. So the creatures of the world of Bria, of creation, they're swallowed up in their source. They sense their source. They sense Hashem. And that's why you have the holy angels. So Klippa doesn't really have a foothold in the world of Bria. It's only in the world of Yitzira, formation. There, good and evil are already 50-50, and especially in the world of action, which is majority Klippa. This is where the negativity really has a foothold, more than a foothold. It's, it's already a beachhead. It's already a, it has a real... ...has uh, uh, <laughs> a firm grip. Um, so so, so the, the source of the klipa comes from the garments, the external parts, especially of the lower worlds. With the study of the laws and speech and thought, they become separated and distinct from the sacred. So that's the that's the answer. Now he's coming to, the, to this is the purpose of studying all these laws, in speech and in thought. By studying all these laws and, and saying clarifying kosher, not kosher, what are the rules? What are the laws? What's the halacha? What's Hashem's will? 
that's how you separate the clipper that it can no longer have a, a toehold. It can't have a, 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 a foothold in, from the holiness. It separates the, ho- the negativity from the holiness. And then the negativity shrivels up. It loses its force. It loses its energy. It loses its strength. It's like a parasite. It really has no strength of its own. Negativity, it's a bluff. It's a bubble. There's nothing there. There's no substance. It's pure bluster and chutzpah and arrogance and lies. It's a thousand faces, a thousand lies. There's no reality to it. There's no substance to it. It's all fantasy. Madison Avenue hype. So it can only... It's like a parasite. It lives off the power of holiness. But once you separate the negativity from holiness, that's it. It's over for the Klippa. It loses its strength. It loses its energy. So we are changing the world. Believe it or not, when you're sitting here in these four walls and you join the kolal and you're learning the halach and delving into all these laws and details, you are actually changing the world. You're making this world a better place. This is the true tikkun olam. This is how you're changing the world. By studying the halach and studying all these laws and mastering all these laws in great detail practical, impractical, doesn't matter. You're revealing Hashem's infinite light and therefore you're separating the negativity from, 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 uh, from the positive. How does Torah study accomplish the separation and refinement of the Kukot and the issue of supernal wisdom originally the Torah was unable to affect us and there came about the admixture of good and evil in the world with Sira and Sia. This question is, the Torah wasn't able to accomplish the separation. But you're telling us when a Jew studies Torah, by the Jew studying the Torah and studying these laws, he is able to accomplish the separation. How? How is that? This accords with what is known concerning the teaching of our sages and the answer to the prophet's query, why was the land destroyed? For they did not recite the blessings before Torah study. The inner meaning of this is that the people of those times failed to draw down the infinite light into their study of the Torah. For Baruch, the, the root of the word in the holy tongue, that means blessing, signifies drawing down. Evil cannot be separated from good by the Torah alone. It must be studied in the proper manner. This separation is effected by drawing down the infinite light into the supreme wisdom of in the laws of the Torah. They are sorted out the infinite light that is within it, i.e. within Chachma. This is equally true regarding the study of the laws of prohibitory commands, even those that most probably will never occur. But the Torah study itself accomplishes this purification. So the question the Talmud asks, why was the second temple destroyed? The first temple was destroyed because the Jews were idolaters, adulterers, and murderers. Very heavy sins. And yet it was only destroyed for 70 years. The Jews, at the, during the destruction of the Second Temple, were religious. For the most part, they were all religious. They were not murderers, they were not idolaters, and they were not adulterers, for the most part. So why, why did the Jewish people suffer such devastation? So the Talmud says, although they studied Torah, they were religious, but they didn't make a blessing before the studying of the Torah. What does that mean? For, for not making a blessing? For that you deserve such 
devastating consequences. The temple is destroyed, over a million Jews lost their life, and we're still suffering, close to 2,000 years in exile, because they didn't make a blessing. And why wouldn't they make a blessing? They were religious. Why wouldn't they make a blessing? What does it mean? Also, the language. It says, they They didn't bless in the Torah. It should have said, they, they, the blessing you make before you study Torah. First you make a blessing and then you study Torah. So it says because they didn't precede the blessing before they studied Torah. What do you mean they didn't bless? Baruch Torah. Didn't bless in the Torah. So the commentaries say, and Al Rebbe is explaining here, in other words, the studying of Torah was an intellectual exercise. They loved the brilliance of Torah. The mind-bending uh, possibilities and so many different ways of understanding. You have one question in the Talmud and you have eight different approaches and each one of them more brilliant than the next. I can say it this way or the other way. And, and it's just fascinating. Anyone who has an intellectual bent is just, it just grabs you. It's mesmerizing. It's just brilliant, the creativity and the brilliance. And they forgot to bless the Torah, meaning they forgot that the Torah is holy. It's not playing chess, it's not studying mathematics or physics. It's not a, a, a mental challenge. It's, um, it's not Mensa club. <laughs> the purpose of studying Torah is it's divine, it's godly, it's Hashem's Torah. I'm studying the divine wisdom. I'm studying whatever Hashem is studying. Whatever is engaging Hashem's mind, I am learning with Hashem. I'm Hashem's chavrusa. I'm learning with Him. What Hashem is thinking about. That's what Hashem is occupied in. That's what Hashem is engaged in. God Himself is engaged in thinking. God is thinking about this, that, or the other. Well, what happens in this case? What happens in this case? Who's guilty, not guilty, true, false, right, wrong, pure, impure? Hashem is thinking. So I'm right there together. Hashem is opening His mind to me and is telling, sharing with us how He's thinking and what He's thinking. It was the innermost mind of Hashem. So there's holiness. He studied Torah with a sense of holiness. Privilege. It's privileged information. Hashem is sharing with us his intimate mind, how he's thinking from the inside out. This is, this is privileged information. This is intimacy. This is shared. You know, when you love someone, you love her, you want to know how they think. You want to know what they're thinking in their innermost mind. Hashem is opening himself up and sharing with us everything that he's occupied and engaged in. So you study Torah with trepidation, with a sense of awe, a sense of holiness, a sense of sacredness, respect, humility. And that's what they were lacking. Not that they didn't make a blessing. Why wouldn't they make a blessing? I mean, they were religious. I'm studying Torah, I'm not going to make a blessing. It means the theme of the blessing. Why do you make a blessing? Before you study math, you don't make a blessing. <laughs> Before you play chess, you don't make a blessing. Before you study physics, you don't make a blessing. When you study Torah. Because, because <laughs> then you pray. <laughs> you know, atheists and foxholes, everyone is praying before the test, for the finals, the regions. Um, then there's not a moment of silence, everyone is praying. But the idea that you, you, you the idea of blessing What's the root of the word blessing? That's what you think. What's the root of the word blessing? Bracha. What does bracha mean? Bracha. What does a bracha mean? What's a blessing? What is a blessing? Bracha in Hebrew means 
to bend down. Like the knee is called berech, the berech. Birkayim, because you bend your knees. The Mishnah discusses a mavrich. Mavrich means you take a twig from a tree and you bend it down and plant the head into the ground. It's connected to the tree. You take the head, you bend it down and plant it into the ground and that becomes a new tree. So it's you bending. You're taking a twig and you're bending down. Vayavrich. Sagmalam, he bend. Um, so the idea of bracha means to bend down, to bring down, to draw down. Like you have the brecha, you have the pool, the reservoir, and you need to draw the water from the reservoir to draw it to your sink. So that's bracha, you're drawing, you're taking it from the root, from the source, and you're drawing it down. You're bringing it down so I can use it, I can benefit from it. That's the idea of a bracha, a blessing. That's why Jacob blessed Ephraim. He put his right hand on the, on the younger son and he put his left hand on the older son. And Yosef says, what are you doing, father? What are you? He, he's there. He thought his father's blind. He can't see. He says, no, I know what I'm doing. Menashe is great. The older son is great. But the younger son will be even greater because Joshua is from the younger son, from Ephraim. Menashe had his kings, but the but the, the, the Joshua was from Ephraim. So he'll be the question is, if Yaakov is doing the blessings, he can give the blessings whoever he wants. So why didn't he give the blessing to the oldest son? That he should be the greater son. But that's the idea of a blessing. A blessing doesn't create anything. A blessing just reveals and draws down what's at the source. Because it can remain stuck in the source. Sometimes the blessings remain if the water remains in the reservoir up in the Catskills. We're not getting any drinking water here. You have to draw the water, pull the water, bring it to your sink so you can benefit from it. So, Rosh Hashanah. God can bless us in Rosh Hashanah for a spectacular year. And you feel it in your bones that you you were blessed with a great year. But nothing materializes. What happened? (laughs) Because it got stuck. We got stuck in heaven. In the source, it's there. But you didn't draw it down. Now that you have the blessing, now you got to draw it down. That's where you go to a holy Jew, a tzaddik. Like Yaakov had the power to bless. God gave Abraham the power to bless. The power to draw down, to actualize potential, reveal potential. Shouldn't remain stuck in heaven in potential form, which would actually draw down and come down in practical. So that's what it means. They didn't bless the Torah. They didn't draw down Hashem's infinite light in the Torah. When a Jew studies Torah properly, when you study Torah for the sake of Torah, when you study Torah for His divine sake, when you realize what you're doing when you're, when you're studying Torah, you're actually you're giving to the Torah. We are drawing down Hashem's infinite light into the Torah. That's why many times the Torah is called the Kala. The Torah is the bride and the Jewish people are the groom. Because we are giving to the Torah. The Torah is receiving from us. Because the Jew who is rooted in God and rooted in Hashem's infinite self, and is rooted in God in a way even deeper than the Torah, we have the power to draw down and to reveal the infinite light into the Torah. But that's only when you study Torah with egolessness, when you study Torah with humility, when you study Torah with respect, when you study Torah with a sense of sacredness, you approach the Torah properly, there's no arrogance involved, there's no ego. Then, when you study Torah, you have the power to draw down Hashem's infinite light into the Torah. 
So the Jewish people did not realize the power that they have when they're studying Torah. And to them, the Torah was just an obligation, a chore, a burden, or intellectual exercise. They lost touch. They became disconnected from the godliness of Torah. Had they been connected with the godliness of Torah, the, the temple could never be destroyed. The temple, the destruction of a temple is a symptom of the fact that we lost touch with our inner temple. We lost touch with the godliness that's located at the very center and core and essence of our being. And therefore we have the power. When we study Torah, we have the power to draw down and to reveal Hashem's infinite light in the wisdom of the Torah. The rabbis, the great rabbis throughout the ages, they had this power. And that's why they were able, through their holy studying of Torah, they were able to reveal and develop the oral Torah, the infinite variations and possibilities and scenarios and all the details of all the laws because by their studying Torah they were able to reveal the infinite. So this is only happens when the Jew studies Torah. The Torah on its own, you have the inner and you have the outer. And the negativity can draw its life force from the outer, from the external. But when the Jew studies Torah and you draw down the infinite light, then it's all inner. Then there's no room we flood the world, flood the universe with godliness, with Hashem's infinite light. There's no room for any darkness, confusion, chaos, negativity, distortion, distorted thinking. So that's what it means. You have to first bless the Torah. Before you start studying Torah, you have to bless the Torah. Baruch Ba Torah. You have to bless the Torah. You have to draw down Hashem's infinite light into the Torah. You have to make that divine connection to the Torah. You have to sense that Torah is divine. And then you can study Torah. This light is drawn into the supreme wisdom by the supernal likeness of man. When we say supernal, what do you mean? It means that we have our counterpart. There's a parallel universe. The part of the soul that enters the body, our consciousness, is a very small part of our soul. It's like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much to our soul that's beyond our consciousness. Just like the body. The body is 33 trillion cells. In our gut itself, we have 100 trillion uh, microbes. And you know, the body is, uh, is a miraculous entity that millions and zillions, trillions of things are happening simultaneously we're completely blissfully unaware of and it just takes care of itself there's a consciousness and awareness that's so beyond our consciousness it's just way beyond us our whole conscious mind is a very narrow band a very narrow sliver it's like trying to take the ocean and reducing it to a, a faucet you know, if the ocean came roaring into your house, you wouldn't be able to drink any water. So you've got to keep the ocean out and, and take a little pipe and draw a little water one drop at a time. And that's, what we can, that's all we can handle, basically. So our conscious self, our conscious mind, numbers, words, ideas, concepts, it's so narrow. It's so tiny. Our whole frame of reference is so tiny and so narrow. As a modern physicist says, our whole known universe, everything we can see, billions and zillions of stars and galaxies, it's just 5% of the universe. The rest of the universe, 95%, dark matter, dark energy, we don't know, we can't know, we don't even have the tools to know. So our whole universe, our whole consciousness, is one tiny little part of us. That's why it says when a person sleeps, 
It's one sixtieth of death. So our whole conscious self, which which when we sleep we're not conscious, is one sixtieth of who we are. <laughs> fifty nine, fifty. The rest of it we're completely unaware of. So the soul. The, the essence of the soul remains beyond our consciousness. The part of our soul that enters into our mind, our consciousness, is the tiniest, the most external, the most superficial part of our, of our soul. The essence of the soul remains beyond. So when, but whatever we do on a conscious level, the parallel level of the soul, which is the essential level of the soul, is doing the same thing. That's the power, because it's one soul. So when we're engaged in studying the Torah, our soul is also studying Torah. Above. The soul that remains above, that remains beyond, is studying Torah on its level. Just like when you work through a problem in your conscious mind, your subconscious mind is also working through the problem. Where do you think the, the Eureka moment comes from? As suddenly out of nowhere, suddenly a thought, an idea pops into your head. Because you were struggling, you were working on the problem. While you were working on the problem, your subconscious mind is also working on the problem. And it, and it came up with this brilliant idea, which I would never think of in a million years. So when we're studying Torah here below in our physical consciousness, the law and the halacha, and all its intricacies, the, the higher level of the soul. That's what he says, the diyoikin al the supernal likeness of man. The higher level of the soul is simultaneously also studying Torah. Is occupied with these laws, studying them on that level. And therefore, when, when the higher level of the soul is studying Torah, it's revealing and drawing down the infinite light into the supernal wisdom. So we are in the driver's seat. Yes, we're in the basement. We're in the dungeon. We're in the basement. But we are in the engine room. We are driving the whole ship. Whatever we do on a conscious level, has so much repercussions that are so beyond our comprehension. You know, the NASA scientist sits in, in Houston and presses a button. And the repercussions of that, millions of miles away, things happen. We're sitting, and stu- we're sitting here in this room and studying Torah and engaged in the law and the intricacies and trying to figure it out. The neshama, our, our supernal likeness, is simultaneously also engaging in the Torah study and it's fireworks. When our soul is studying Torah on that level, it draws down the infinite light into the supernal wisdom and floods the world, the entire universe, with light. It leaves no room for negativity. Negativity just washes off. It just has nowhere to hold on to. It has nowhere to grab onto. And the world becomes a better place a more peaceful place. The source in Mukva of Zah of Riyadh, Yitzhiyah, and Asiyah. Thus, we can understand the requirement that every Nefesh Ruach Neshama fulfill all 613 commandments in thought, speech, and deed. Meaning the details of the laws for thought and speech refer to the study of all these people. So not only do we have to fulfill all 613 mitzvot, we also have to, in action, but we also have to fulfill it in speech and in thought, and we have to learn about the 613, all the laws that, all the details and the laws that are connected to each and every mitzvah.
Today, any Nefesh work Neshama that failed to complete a previous mission in this war must be reincarnated to fulfill the Torah. In its simple meaning, illusions, homicide, objects, and secrets, in order to sort out and refine all that pertains to them. From among the 288 sparks that constitute the, uh, the complete structure of man, with the six thirteen categories, general and particular, that relate to each soul. So every Jew is obligated to learn all 613 mitzvot, and to elevate the 288 sparks, which every soul has a sheer in elevating those sparks. So those sparks that are connected to you, you have to elevate those sparks by studying, studying the Torah. Now he's going to address, so that ex- answers the question that he posed at the beginning of the essay, what are we accomplishing through studying of Torah, the theme of studying Torah, and why we engage most of our life studying the laws and the practical laws and the impractical laws in great detail and very specific and all the variations and would-be possible scenarios. And this is our life's mission because by doing so we fulfill the divine purpose of clarifying this world and changing this world, this physical world. Now, the question is, what about the Mashiach comes? Mashiach comes, there, will not, there won't be any negativity. All evil will be abolished. There will no longer be any spirit of evil. All nonsense will, will, uh, will be history, will go the way of history. All the Narishkeit and all the foolishness that we're seeing today will go the way of communism, will go the way of history. It, it, it's nonsense. The truths of the Torah, the clarity, there'll be such clarity there. The perfect divine document that Hashem gave us, the Torah, will be perfectly implemented and the world will be a Garden of Eden. Every individual life, family life, communal life, collective life, the whole world, not only Jews, Jews as well as non-Jew, the whole world will literally be a Garden of Eden. Every Jew will fulfill all 613 mitzvot. And every non-Jew will follow the seven Noahide laws. So, what's the purpose? What will be the purpose of Torah and mitzvot then? Here we're saying the whole purpose of Torah and mitzvot is to clarify, to sift and to clarify and to separate the good from the evil and to change the world and to make the world a better place. What happens once mission is accomplished? The world is a good place. So, What's the purpose of Torah and mitzvah then? And especially the prohibitions. Today we could understand the positive mitzvot are to bring holiness into the world. When you do a mitzvah, you do something active, you bring something holy into the world. When you sin, when the Torah says, don't sin, don't violate the prohibition, because you don't want to bring negativity into the world. When you sin, you're bringing negativity into the world. You have to avoid it. It's like poison. Torah says, stay away. This is poison. No good. You have to identify what's positive, what's negative, what's good, what's evil. And the act of identifying in itself makes the world a better place. When poison is called poison, and poison is identified as poison, that's, that's helpful, that's beneficial, that's positive. 
So when you have that clarity, so, that, so you're clarifying, you're sifting, you're separating what's good, what's not good, what's a means, what's an end, what's... So that's what we're accomplishing today. But what Mashiach will come, what will happen Mashiach will come, then there won't be any negativity. Everything will be clear. Everything will be crystal clear. Everything will be self-evident, obvious. Goodness, truth, godliness, holiness, wholesomeness will all be self-evident and obvious to everyone. You won't even be tempted to sin. It'll be foolishness. It'll be so clear and obvious. So what's the point? What's the theme then of Torah and Mitzvah? And do we have two separate themes? Torah never changes. So now the whole purpose of Torah is one thing. To change the world, to mend the world, to fix this mess. Mashiach will come and the mess will already be fixed. There won't be any mess. The world will once again turn into a Garden of Eden. So what then is the purpose of Torah what are we accomplishing with our Torah and Mitzvah? But in the time to come, when the refinement, refinement is culminated, the study of the of Torah will be in the form of do good alone, and no longer in the order to separate good from. Well, tonight is Chayel. Tonight is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, and the day that his Rebbe, Achi Ashiloini, the prophet, who was the seventh in line of the transmission of the whole entire Torah. He was the head of the Jewish Supreme Court after King David, and he was, he was present at Mount Sinai, and he was, uh, he was the one who anointed Elijah the prophet, and um, he uh, was the Balshemtiv's teacher. He revealed himself to the Balshemtiv in a bodily form, and for ten years he was his teacher. He would appear to him every day, and he learned with him, and he studied with him for ten years. He started at the age of 26. The Balshamatov started learning Bereshis with him. And when he finished, 10 years later, the last word in the Torah, and he taught him the whole Hasidic philosophy, the whole revolution of Hasidic, Hasidus, um, Balshamatov was forced to reveal himself at the age of 36. Balshamatov revealed himself. And on the Balshamatov's 47th birthday, the altar, he got his best birthday present. The Alter Rebbe was born, the author of the Tanya was born on the Balshamta's 47th birthday. They shared a birthday. Chai El, life of El. And um, there's a beautiful story with the Balsh- with Alter Rebbe that um, there was a uh, Magid. A, uh, a Magid was someone who would uh, rebuke the Jewish community. The Jewish community actually paid someone to rebuke them. And uh, the Alter Rebbe calls him in. It was the, the, the uh, Maggot of Leogen, and he calls him in. He says, it's not fear. You're rebuking the whole world. No one rebukes me. Please, I want you to rebuke me. Ridiculous. I mean, start rebuking the Alter Rebbe. But he was a wise Jew, and Alter Rebbe ordered him to rebuke him. So he tells the Alter Rebbe, he says, how can I rebuke you? Whatever I know, you know already. And what you know, you know so much more than I'll ever know. So what can I tell you? What can I, how can I rebuke you? One thing I could tell you, Rebbe. says the difference between what I know and what you know, which is vast, like a Grand Canyon, is nothing in comparison to the distance between what you know and what you don't know. Because inf- knowledge is infinite. God is infinite. His Torah is infinite. So 
as brilliant as you are and as much as you know, there's so much more to know. And you haven't even started. And Alter Rebbe started crying. Because he hit it on the nail. In other words, we can grow not only because we're running away from negativity. We're running away from death. We're running away from negativity. So we're running. So we're growing. But you can grow within the positive itself. It's infinite. You can feel. The more you learn, the more you realize I haven't even learned anything. You know, for us to leave this world, to leave the atmosphere, it takes tremendous Herculean effort to be able to leave this atmosphere. You need this powerful, powerful engine, this rocket engine to lift off and to help you leave this atmosphere. But once you leave the atmosphere and you're flying in space, you're going so fast, millions and millions of miles, much faster than you can ever travel within within this world so once right now we're still trapped in the atmosphere we're trapped with all the negativity we have to deal with all the negativity all the mishagas all the craziness confusion but once when Mashiach will come we'll all be the level of a tzaddik who's already broken through and broken out and broken beyond the atmosphere he doesn't have to deal with negativity anymore that's when life begins not that at the end of life, what are we going to do when Mashiach will come? Won't be any challenges. Life is over. Are you kidding? Life begins. We're just scratching the surface. Now you can grow infinitely. You can grow from level to level, and from a higher level to a higher level. God is infinite, and the heaven is always above you. No matter how much you master it's always beyond you. It's so beyond you. You discover new universes. You create new universes and new levels and new horizons open up to you and new language and new challenge. But it's, you're no longer dealing with negativity. Now it's within the positive itself. You're growing from strength to strength. We saw the Rebbe. You never saw a person, a Jew, is more alive. Every moment, fully charged, fully energized, fully challenging himself and growing and leaps and bounds every single day. We couldn't keep up with it. When the Rebbe danced, 89, dancing some Kastar, remember the last some Kastar, everybody was dancing, we couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> it, it. It was so alive. The Torah was so alive. God was so alive. Judaism was so alive. Mashiach was so alive. It, 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 it was just... It was just it was infinite. And infinite possibilities and infinite. There was a story of the Alter Rebbe's mentor, Rabbi Mendel Vitebsk, who was actually Simchas Torah. So after the Magid passed away, the Hasidim, and after Rabbi Avram, the angel, the son passed away, they basically appointed him as like the Rebbe, like the chairman or the Rebbe. And um, Simchas Torah. Rabbi Mendel of Vitebsk is not coming out of his room. Chassidim are all waiting impatiently. They want to start with the dancing, with that cover. He's not coming out of his room. So the Rebbe volunteered. I'll go in. I'll speak to him. He says, Rebbe, why, why aren't you coming out? He says, because I saw, I see a hundred interpretations of Atta Haresa. 
Atar Eis are the verses that we say before we take out the Torah. I see a hundred variations, interpretations, and I, I, I'm not up to it. I, I, I don't feel up to it. I don't feel I can live up to these. So I, have to, I need time in order to be able to internalize all these, all these different levels. So the Alter Rebbe says, Rebbe, he says, trust me, once you can learn and internalize these hundred, you're going to find another hundred and another thousand. It, it's endless, it's infinite. That's not a reason to, it shouldn't paralyze you. We have to go, but that's the idea. Within holiness itself, within the infinite itself, there's infinite, infinite possibilities. Just like at many different levels of the infinite. So you have a dot, right? How many dots do you have in the dot? If you chop up the dot, you can go in, in infinitely. There's no end. You keep on chopping it in half and chopping it in half. So it's a dot. And that dot is infinite. Then you have a line. How many dots do you have in the line? <laughs> you keep on chopping. There's no end. It's infinite. Then you have a, a square. You have a surface. How many lines do you have in the surface? Infinite lines. <laughs> you can chop, chop, and you can keep on going, going, add infinitum. So how many levels of infinity you have? Within the dot, you have infinite. Within the line, you have infinite dots. Within the, the space, within the uh, surface, you have infinite lines. And then if you have uh, uh, depth and height and depth, again, you have infinite, infinite surfaces. So there's, there's no end. God is infinite. So the purpose of Torah and mitzvot will be to advance and to grow and to discover new universes and discover new... And within goodness itself, within holiness itself, you won't have to deal with negativity. But within holiness itself, you will grow from strength to strength. Its purpose will be to elevate the nefesh, ruach, neshama, ever and infinitely high. But the question is, what about the prohibition? The negative mitzvah. Don't do this. So now we understand, don't do this because it's going to bring negativity. But if the whole world is positive and the whole world is good and the whole world is holy, why stay away from this? Why don't do this? What's the positive purpose in not doing and staying away? And also... Also with regard to the study, the 365 prohibitions to elevate them to their source, the holy attributes of severity, and to sweeten them through the attributes of kindness that are in the 248 positive commandments, and to fuse them, the attributes of severity with the attributes of kindness. So Hasidus says, in other places he elaborates a little more, we have, there's two levels of understanding. There is a positive level of understanding. And you can grasp something, firmly grasp it, thoroughly grasp it and understand it. But then, when you're trying to grasp something that you cannot grasp, it's beyond you. I can't wrap my mind around it. It's beyond my comprehension. But, I do have some sense of it that I can grasp it by, by, by not understanding it, by being able to say that I don't understand. Like, it's not this. I'm trying to get to it, but I can't. So is it, is it like this? No, it's not like this. It's not like that. It's not like this. Anything I can think of, it's not exactly like it. So even though I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you what it isn't. Even to be able to tell you what it isn't, 
but it's not. I can infer something. I can get some sense of it. I don't firmly grasp it and I can't put it into words and I can't tell you positively what it is. I can't make a positive identification. But I could make a negative identification. It's not this. You show me a face, I can't describe the face, but I can tell you this is not it. You know, sometimes you have, you have your favorite song, you can't remember it. You can't remember it. You don't have it. You can't reproduce it. But if someone sings a song, I know enough to tell you it's not it. <laughs> it's not this song. It's not this song. This is not it. So you have to have some sense to be able to say it's not it. it you have some sense of it. So it, it's a much deeper level of understanding. We're trying to understand something that's very deep. That's really way beyond your ability, way beyond your comprehension. But by sensing what it's not, I get some sense of, of, of some feeling. And the more I can define it by what it isn't, I can get some sense of it. And the higher your level of understanding, the deeper your level of understanding, your positive understanding, your concrete understanding, the deeper you can go in reach, you can reach higher in what you don't understand. Like the whole focus of science today is exactly the part of the universe that they can't understand. They don't have a, even have the tools to understand. But that's what they're obsessed with. Dark matter, dark energy. They have no clue what they're talking about. They don't even know. We can't even begin to describe. But that's all scientists are interested in today. Because whatever, whenever we can sense of it, that whatever we do see, whatever we do understand, it's not it. So I don't know what it is. But just be, to be able to say it's not this, it's not that, it's not the other, the more you're able to describe it that way, it gives me some sense, some, some feeling for what it is, even though I may never truly understand. So this is the deepest level of comprehension. When you're delving so deeply into, into the matter, into reality that's way beyond our capacity... But at least I can say what it isn't. And that's what the, the prohibitions re- represent, the don'ts. The positive mitzvot represent the things that I can grasp. This is something I can grasp. It's concrete. It's positive. I can identify it. I can grasp it. I could do it. When the Torah says, don't do it, stay away from it, that means it's beyond my grasp. It's beyond me. It's, it's, it's much deeper. And that's why the prohibitions reach a much deeper level than the positive mitzvah. Just like within today, within the person. It takes a lot more character to stop yourself from doing something. You can tell much more about a person by what they don't do than by what, than by what they do. What you do is self-expression. But what you won't do, the things that you won't do because you have character, that comes from a much deeper place. That tells me what a person is really made up of, the stuff that a person is really made up. The person has character or not. The things, the inner self-discipline, the inner control that you have not to do something, comes from a much deeper place. So the prohibitions represent a level of godliness that's so profound and so beyond our comprehension that we can't access it directly. The only way of accessing it is by not doing it. So when we learn all these laws, what not to do, we're tapping into that level that's way beyond our comprehension.
And that's why we're sweet at the source. That's what he means. At the source, it's all holy. It's not about staying away from negativity. It's about the level of holiness, the deepest depth and the deepest levels of holiness that are so beyond our comprehension. And the only way to access it is by not doing it. So the Torah is describing it. Stay away from this. It's not this. Not that. Not that. And that's what sweetens. And then you merge the, the severity with the sweetness. The fire Torah is thus eternal in general and in detail, i.e. including even all the detailed laws that have no practical application at all in the time to come. For even the individual laws of the 365 prohibitions are branches of the Torah's general statements. All of them have a source above in the five holy attributes of severity, just as the 365 prohibitions themselves as they are above in the state of blood that animates the organs of the vessels of Zah. So, even though it may appear to be that we have two different sets of intentions when we study Torah today and when we're going to study Torah and Mashiach will come, but the truth is, it's one Torah. Because, as he explained earlier, even the Torah today, the reason why the Torah has the power to clarify and to separate the good from the evil is because we're drawing down Hashem's infinite light into the Torah. So the Torah is essentially about holiness. The essence of the Torah is really about holiness. The Torah precedes the world. The Torah is not just a document that God gave us a constitution how to the best live our lives. The Torah is an end in itself. Torah existed before the world. Torah, the whole world is only here because of the Torah. To implement the Torah. The Torah is the way God is thinking alone for himself. So the Torah, everything in the Torah really originates in something holy. Even when the Torah discusses something negative, at the root, at the source, it's all positive. It's all holy. The way it manifests itself into our reality today, it, the Torah discusses the negativity. But at the essence, it's really, at the core, it's really all about holiness. So even the negativity is rooted in the five levels of attributes of holiness, of severity of holiness. It's all good. It's all positive. It's all, it's all holy, lofty, godly, nothing to do with negativity. And that's why we're able to change the world today. That's why when you, when you have something so lofty and so godly and so transcendent, it's so beyond the world, it's God Almighty Himself, His infinite self. That's why when we study Torah today, in our present reality, the Torah that we study has the power to change the world at its very core and its very essence. Because the Torah is so beyond this world. The reason we can do Tikkun Olam because the Torah is so beyond this world. It's so transcendent from all the nonsense of this world. Because if you're an imprisoner, if you're in prison, you can't release yourself from prison. Only someone who's on the outside could release himself from prison. The Torah, which is God's point of view and God's perspective and God's reality, and it's so transcendent and beyond negativity and darkness. And when you're tapping into that, and it's when a Jew studies Torah, you're revealing, you light up the Torah, you're revealing Hashem's infinite self in the Torah, we light up the world. That's why we have the power to light up the world. So the Torah doesn't change. It's the same Torah. Today, 
even though it seems to be two different purposes. Now we're studying Torah to clarify the world, to change the world, to fix the world, to fix the problem. When Mashiach will come, the problem is fixed, mission accomplished, and no longer any confusion. Then we'll first begin to learn Torah. Because even today, we're studying Torah because we're connecting with Hashem. And by connecting with Hashem and studying the divine mind and tapping into the infinite, revealing the infinite, that's how we change the world.